You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. You've never argued over stuff like that, have you? Um, I want to start today with a little bit of a confession. How many of you would, uh, by a show of hands, admit that you woke up early, early Saturday morning to watch the royal wedding? How many of you guys? Okay, proud watcher over here. Lots of folks. And so, you know, it's funny how crazy our country is over the royal family and this royal wedding. I mean, it's just everywhere this week. I turn on the radio. Are you ready for the royal wedding? You got to get up at 5 a.m. And then I turn on the news and, and uh, on the news, it's, are you ready for the royal wedding? Get up at 5 a.m. for the pre-show and on and on and on and all this. And I'm like, man, I could care less about this wedding and what's taking place over there. And so I'm not thinking about this at all. Friday night comes and I was exhausted and I, I, uh, I, I hit the bed and I was tired and I was knocked out. Now I'm a pretty heavy sleeper and I, I, uh, I was planning on sleeping in that Saturday. Alarm was not set. And, and so it was, good. it was a good night, you know. And so out of nowhere, at 5 a.m. in the morning, my eyes just, ding, popped open. And I'm like, why am I awake? It's dark. It's five. What's going on? I could not go back to sleep. And uh, the only thing I could, could think of is that I had heard those stupid announcements about wake up at 5 a.m. all week. <laughs> and like my subconscious body mind set an internal alarm. And I woke up and so I turned it on. <laughs> And so now I'm watching this wedding, and I'm like, I was like, oh, Windsor, Windsor's awesome, man. Windsor Castle, Windsor Town, it's amazing. I love this. And Oprah, Oprah's there. Look at Oprah, and you know, and Elton John, Elton John showed up, and there's David Beckham, you know, Beckham's there, and all these other celebrities are coming through, and you're like, there's the Queen. Oh, look at the Queen's outfit, so regal, so perfect, perfect. I'm telling you, she's amazing, and uh, just on and on and on. I watched the whole thing, and 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 uh, I, I'm I'm a fellow like uh, I feel like a, a terrible person for doing it, but I did it right. So I'm I'm there with you, and and so we thought it would be a good idea on kind of on the tail end of um, the wedding, and this is actually wedding season. How many of you guys know somebody getting married in this season? Lots of weddings going on. It's like uh, all kinds of weddings, and some of you are like, we are getting married, and so that's a good thing. We thought it'd be helpful to, to do a sermon series uh, on marriage for the next few weeks, and really relationships in general, and so uh, I, I hope that you will invite some folks. I hope that you will be here next week. We're going to talk about how to handle conflict, and I know in marriage, we always have conflict, and so every single marriage is going to have it, so how do you do it well, and how do you deal with it? We're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about how to raise godly uh, children and, and uh, be a, a godly parent uh, one week, and then we're going to follow that up by talking about a woman's deepest needs, and so how husbands can fulfill that, and, and would-be husbands uh, for all the single guys in here. And then the following week, we're going to talk about a, uh, really what the deepest needs of men are, and that'll be Father's Day. So it's going to be a, a really helpful, great uh, series. I hope that you'll invite some people to come. Uh, this is a perfect season uh, and, and series to do so. Um, you know, in marriage, uh, it can be fun, and, and it, it, it should be fun. And, and uh, for, for my wife and I, a lot of times what I think is fun is not necessarily what she thinks is fun. Has that ever happened to you? Like one of the things that I absolutely think is fun is like I like to hold her down and, 
and tickle her, right? Some of you are thinking, this guy's weird, okay? No, I, I, I love it. It's hilarious, you know, and, and, but she hates it. She hates it. it. It's this weird array of emotions of like she's laughing, but at the same time, she's angry, you know? She wants to punch me in the face. She, she can't stand it, but she laughs. And so we do this, and it's, a, it's, it's fun for me. And, and what she does is she will, you know, she'll wrestle, and she will. She'll punch, and she'll kick, and she'll do whatever she can. So I think she's claustrophobic or something, and, and she'll just want to run away. And so that's the game we play. And, and uh, what's funny is that in a marriage, if you feel trapped like that, or if you feel like someone is holding you down, if you feel like that, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of you're, you're being held back in whatever way, you know what you typically do? And what I typically do is exactly what my wife does. Like she'll, she'll kick and she'll hit and she wants to leave. Well, if you feel that way in your marriage, you'll do the same thing. You'll kick and yell and get angry and you'll want to leave. I think a lot of marriages are experiencing something to that effect, that the reality in uh, marriage is, is few people actually experience peace and unity and intimacy in their marriage. In fact, if the truth were known, most people would say, I feel cheated in my marriage. I'm disappointed. It's not what I expected it to be. In fact, many feel like, in the room today, you feel like you are trapped. You're married for however long. You feel trapped in whatever ways. You feel like you're in prison. And that's why we named the series Wedlock. Because ever since you've been married, you feel like you're on lockdown. You feel like you're trapped. You feel like you're in prison. And even though you live with your spouse, you feel alone. Like an inmate incarcerated, you feel isolated. You're not experiencing any fun in your relationship You're not on the same page financially. You're not on the same page as far as your goals. You feel like you're in jail, and it's kind of easy for you to stay at the office late. It's kind of easy for you to stay on the golf course for an extended period of time because you don't necessarily want to go home. It's like the old country song. It's too hot to fish. It's too hot to golf, but it's too cold at home. (laughs) And so so we kind of tend to stay away from those environments. So let me just ask you, what happened, though, in your marriage? What happened over the course of time that led you to feel what you might be feeling today? And, 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 and I would suggest a few things maybe have happened. Maybe the first thing is that you have unmet or unrealistic expectations, Your expectations for what your spouse should be doing and how they should be doing it are just really um, uh, out of this world. They're unrealistic. And, And I would say that every single person that gets married goes into that marriage with unrealistic expectations. There's just no way for us to prepare ourselves and to be ready to live with this other person that we thought we knew but we really didn't know. And and the the dynamics of that situation, uh, we we just all have those expectations that are unrealistic. But the problem is when we're married one, two, five, 10, 20, 30 years, and we don't change those expectations. We don't realize that what we're asking him to do or asking her to do, is it completely unrealistic? They can't do it physically, mentally, mentally emotionally, it's impossible for them to fulfill that need in your life, but you still expect them to do it, and you demonize them when they don't do it. 
And so that's the tragedy of marriage, that you don't change those unrealistic expectations. You don't understand that you're doing that. Or what's even worse is you keep adding new unrealistic expectations. For instance, you know, as we get older, things change. Gravity takes over, right? And, and no matter how many age-defying lotions you're putting on your face, gravity will win. And, and so another unrealistic expectation that, that we may put on our spouses, you got to look a certain way, even though you're getting older. And, 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 and that's just one example of the many things that we just stack and add on top of our spouse. Maybe for you, you're just, your spiritual life is just empty. And so as a result of this spiritual life, you, you just kind of feel trapped. You think it's her fault. You think it's his fault. But really, it's, it's, it's your lack of spiritual growth that has caused you to feel this isolation and to feel like you are trapped. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a, it's a lack of priorities or your priorities are just out of whack. Like for you, it's, it's, it's focused on work and it's focused on hobby and it's not focused on the relationship. It's not focused on your relationship with your spouse anymore. Early on, you worked really hard. You spent a lot of time. You tried to convince her that you were the man. You got married. And then we just lose that, that tenacity or that energy to develop the relationship. But you've heard this illustration before. It's just like um, developing or creating a garden. If you've ever done that, you know, you've got to protect the garden from animals and insects. You've got to water it. You've got to weed it. You've got to take care of the garden. It takes a lot of work to have a garden. And if you don't take care of it, if you don't care for it, if you're not watching over it, spending time with it, then the fruit will be stolen or eaten from animals or killed by bugs, and, and you won't have any fruit. And that's what's happening in some of your marriages today. You're just not spending any time developing it and, and caring for it. And so priorities are out of whack. Or maybe you're just too focused on what you want. That's just the bottom line for you. You just want what you want when you want it. And, and that's just kind of your, your main focus. And as a result of that focus, you kind of have built this cage that now you live in and you feel trapped and you keep blaming people, but it's your expectations. It's your lack of priorities. It's your focus on what you want and a lack of focus on your spouse. So some of you feel like this and you're going through this and you're going to respond in one of two ways in a marriage when you're dealing with this. You're going to respond with this, this idea of you're going to endure it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to just do it. Can't get divorced, you know, so can't, can't do that. So I'm just going to, it's my cross to bear, right? <laughs> Jesus took the sin of humanity upon him on the cross and my cross is I've got to put up with this stinky, smelly idiot of a man, right? And that's like your, some of you just feel like you got to endure it. Or the other thing that you might think that you need is you need to escape it. I just need to get out. I married the wrong person or this isn't going to work out. I just got to leave. Married the wrong man, need a new man. Problem is new man's not going to fix anything because you haven't fixed anything. You haven't changed anything. So it's just going to be problems and issues just with another person. And so, so we've got to realize that there actually is a third way to respond to it. And the third thing is that you can actually enjoy it. You could enjoy your marriage. It is a possibility. 
In fact, if you get the following things right today, you will and can begin to enjoy each other yet again. But good marriages don't just happen. Oh, he's so lucky. She, she's just perfect. Or she's lucky. He, she just got a good man and he, he does it right. And they just, it doesn't just happen. It's not luck. It doesn't just uh, it doesn't magically, you know, resolve itself. Every single good marriage, every single healthy marriage took a lot of intentionality, a lot of focus. It takes commitment, it takes time, and it takes effort. And so today, I want to begin the series by helping you unlock the power of a unified marriage. Because I believe if you can begin to get on the same page, to get on the same team, and begin to unify your marriage together, then you can begin to address some of the other issues that are in your life. Now, one of the statements that Micah and I uh, really, really began to use and to say in our marriage that really transformed our attitude is we're on the same team. Early on, we were not on the same team. Early on in our marriage, we were very selfish, we didn't know how to process our emotions. We didn't know how to, how to calmly deal with situations. It was all emotionalism. It was all attack. It was all negative. It was all anger. It was all my way, right? That is a recipe for a disaster. And so as we, were, as we began to grow and as we began to mature, we realized that, look, we're on the same page. We've got to be on the same page, and we are on the same team. And as we began to think that way, and as we began to mention that, we would get into an argument or something, or pastors don't fight and argue with their spouse. We have heated fellowship. And, uh, and so when we had heated fellowship, uh, we would remind each other that, hey, 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 we're on the same team. And that began to change our attitude. But so a lot of folks, though, when they think of the, the idea of, of unifying together, they think that they are unified. And so let's just identify on some of the things that we feel like we're unified on, but aren't really a good foundation. The one thing that I would say is some people unify around the warm, fuzzy feeling of being in love. You know, because early on when you're dating and when you get married, there's that warm, fuzzy feeling. He touched my leg, right? That, that warm fuzziness. And, and so that emotional kind of warm, fuzzy makes you feel like you're unified, it, it tricks you into thinking that you're, she is perfect, and, and, and she thinks I am perfect, and, 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 you know, our hands touched, and then we, you know, we kissed, and all of these things, and all of these warm, fuzzy feelings make us think that we're on the same page. But if you've been married for longer than 12 months, you know those fuzzy feelings dissipate. Now his hand touches your knee, and you're like, what are you doing? Is there a bug on me or something? Keep those hands, right? The warm fuzzies leave. That doesn't mean that you married the wrong person. It means that you, perhaps you unified around that mentality. And so if you're not careful, you'll think that you're not with the right person or you don't, you're not in love anymore, but they will leave. Some of you unify around your hobbies and that's dangerous as well. Because if you're, if you're unified around a hobby, we like to hike, or we like to golf, or we like to do this. Well, that's great now, but hobbies change. What I liked when I was 20 and what I like to spend my time doing, I, I don't do most of those things today. 
Like, early on when Mike and I were dating, we used to watch the NBA playoffs religiously. Like, that season, she was watching them with me. We, we were into it, okay? We got married. She hasn't watched an NBA game since. <laughs> like, if, if I felt like we were unified around, hey, we like to watch basketball together, if I was dumb enough to actually believe that, then fast forward months later, I would feel like she doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't want to watch basketball with me anymore. Hobbies change. Here's another thing that we unify around, our kids. And this is dangerous too. This is actually even more dangerous. Because in, in our culture today, we talked about generations uh, last week, the, 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 my generation and, and the Buster generation. We, we've really begin, begun to idolize our children. And so we begin to focus on our children. And a lot of couples do this. They pour everything into their kids. Whatever their kids want to do, we're going to do. I know we need to get time together, but we don't really have time for each other, husband, wife. We've got to do what the kids need to do. And we got to run them here and we got to run them here. We got to go to this practice and this little league. And you know the drill. All of our attention is going towards our kids, and that, that means that there's no time to develop that relationship. And so what happens is at least two things happen if you do that. You're so busy that you stop connecting emotionally, spiritually, and physically with your spouse. And the second thing that happens is you raise children that are so entitled that they're going to ex- expect their uh, husband or wife in the future to meet all of their needs. You've, you've really created a monster. And so, so what we have to realize is, okay, our kids have to be a priority, but scripturally, my wife has to take priority even over my children. Some of you would go, oh, how dare he say that they're my children, right? You're offended by that statement. Well, I'm just telling you, when you read the Bible, you, you see that the, the, that the priority doesn't mean that we love our kids less. It just means that I'm able to prioritize my relationship with my wife. And we're going to discover that throughout this series and today, how we can do that. And wives prioritizing their husband. And then as a result, how that prioritization blesses your children. And so if you prioritize them, that doesn't bless them. That hurts them, and it hurts your relationship with your spouse. And so we, can't, we, we cannot unify around, let's put the kids first. In John chapter 8, Jesus has a heated conversation with the Pharisees, and he was trying to uh, convince them who he was and, and why they should follow him. And, and he explains one of the most powerful truths that we read in the scripture, and it's going to be the baseline for our entire series. But in verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then later in verse 36, a few verses down, he says, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So the reality of those of us who are followers of Jesus, you can experience freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from guilt, freedom from shame. You can live in freedom in your marriage. But how? Jesus says, if you are really my disciple, 
If you are really my disciple, you will continue in my word. You will abide in my word. So if you are really a disciple of Jesus, you are living by this word, connecting to this word, applying that word to your life. It is changing you. And as you are being changed by the word of Jesus, then you are experiencing more and more freedom. Now, the opposite is true as well. If you are not really a disciple of Jesus, if you are not abiding and connecting and applying the word of Jesus into your life, then you will not experience freedom. And you will not enjoy your marriage, and there will be constant tension and friction, and you'll feel like you're isolated in prison for the rest of your life. The only way that we can truly experience any kind of freedom in this world is by the power of Jesus. Guys, put that diagram up on the screen. This is very simple, and you've probably seen this, but think about it for a minute. You've got a triangle here the, that uh, on the bottom, you've got the husband on one side, the wife on the other, and then God is at the top of this triangle. And the closer the husband gets to God, and the closer the wife gets to God, the closer the husband and wife get to each other. You see, it's a very simple equation. The closer I get to Jesus, the more my life is focused and submitted to him, the more I am abiding in the word of God, the more the word of God is changing my heart. As I get closer to him, I will get closer to my spouse. And as we move together, your priorities begin to line up. Your expectations begin to line up. Your goals begin to line up. Your purposes begin to line up, and you start to feel the power of a unified marriage. And listen, your kids will feel it as well. And don't forget, your grandkids will feel it as well. I like the concept of moving closer to your spouse because marriage is not fixed in an instant. You don't just decide to go to church and boom, everything changes. It doesn't happen overnight. You've got to move. It's taking a step. It's, it's processing. It's, 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 it's sometimes painful, sometimes enjoyable, but, but it's a, a journey of moving. And, and what we see in the life of the church, and I hate this, but in the life of the church, the culture really is just be fake. Just pretend like everything is okay. We, we've tried our best to try to develop a church for the last nine years to, to encourage everybody to be authentic, to be in a small group and be real, be authentic. But for whatever reasons, it's challenging. It's challenging for people to be honest and real. I mean, I get it. It's, it's challenging to show up and, and, and say, yeah, my husband had an affair and, you know, we're on the verge of a divorce. Thank you. <laughs> Or, you know, I caught my husband looking at pornography. Yes, and now I don't know if I love him anymore. I get it. Those aren't fun conversations to have. But what we typically do is we typically wait too late to ask for help. We get to the last straw. The final little thread breaks. And then we call the church. We call the counselor and say, hey, uh, can we meet? We're going through some issues. And people show up in my office and, and uh, yeah, he filed divorce papers. What? You, you've waited a little too late, right? 
instead of just faking it for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your future, then I want to encourage you to get in a small group and to connect with that small group leader. And what I love about our small groups is a lot of them will, the men will, will break up and they'll go into another area and the ladies will go and they'll break up and they'll go into another area so that it's just guys and it's just ladies. And, and those are opportunities too to kind of, this is what I'm dealing with, this is what I'm struggling with. You know, and now I'm able to, okay, give me, give me some feedback. Am I, am I crazy on this? And they might say, yeah, man, you're, you're crazy. You can't expect her to do that. And she's never going to. And then it's like, oh, okay. And now the Spirit of God is changing me. And the, God's, you know, moving my heart closer to Him. And as a result of, of me moving closer to Him, I'm, I'm, I'm moving closer to her. And so we need each other. And, and I don't want you to wait till it's too late. I want you to experience freedom now. I want you to learn how to apologize now. I want you to learn how to get help now. I want you to learn how to say I'm sorry now. And as you do, the bottom line for today in this whole series is that marriage should liberate, not incarcerate. If you feel incarcerated today, then there is hope, okay? Because marriage should and can liberate you. There is nothing more sanctifying than marriage, The purpose of marriage is not your happiness. Young people, single people, the purpose of your marriage is not your happiness. God creates marriage so that we can be fruitful and multiply and so that he can sanctify us and so that when I'm in this relationship, my wife has been the greatest help for my growth because she knows me better than anybody She knows my flaws and failures, and when she addresses them, sometimes inappropriately, she's not perfect, but later as she has matured, she's gotten better, me as well. But even if it's not done in the perfect way, if I can be mature enough to hear what she's saying and then begin to grow in that and get help in that and to change that and confess that, then not only am I a better husband, I'm closer to Jesus, and the way that I lead at the office, the way that I interact with people at work and, and you know, on the field and whatever else you're doing at school is better as well. She, she makes me better. She helps liberate me through the power of the Holy Spirit in that relationship. Things are being revealed that would otherwise never be revealed to me. And so I'm grateful for that. And, and we want to look at it in that light. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians 4. If you feel incarcerated today, I believe you're in the right place, and our scripture today is going to help us. A lot of times when we look at chapter 4 of Ephesians, we're going to apply that to the church and how to, how to get unity in the church. And when you read the Bible, if you're looking for like marriage stuff, I'll just be honest, there's not a ton of marriage um, uh, commands. There are a few, and, we, and what we have is plenty But what you have to realize is that the Bible isn't written to be like a marriage handbook. Everything in the Bible relates and deals with marriage from cover to cover because it's all about relationships. And so we don't have to specifically go to where it says husbands do this, wives do this. We can go to Ephesians 4 and see exactly how we're supposed to treat each other. And so to do that, let's look at verse 1. Paul says, Therefore I... The prisoner in the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit 
through the bond of peace. Let's unpack that. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. He knows what it feels like to be incarcerated. He knows what it feels like to be in jail because he literally was in prison. He wrote this. And so he gets it. He understands it. And so if we're going to unlock the power of a unified marriage, we've got to move closer to God and, and, and in return move closer to our spouse. So here are a few things we've got to do. The first thing is we've got to move toward our calling. You've got to move toward your calling. You might expect Paul to say, since I'm a prisoner, help me get out of here. Come visit me. Bring me a new lawyer. But he doesn't. He says, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. If you're a disciple of Jesus today, God called you to salvation. He's the one that saved you. You didn't even think you needed to be saved prior to that experience. You thought you were good. You didn't think your sin was that bad. But the Spirit of God convicted you, showed you that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and it was God's Spirit that convinced you that Jesus is the Son of God and died on the cross for your sins. You didn't deserve it. You did not earn it. You didn't do anything to achieve it. But God convinced you of this truth, and he led you to submit your life to him. Now, because of his grace, you're living your life to honor him. You're living your life to serve Jesus. And whatever he leads you to do, you are doing. Your attitude is to please him and constantly submit your will to his will. Now, if that's not you today, then I would say the first step for you to experience freedom is to give your life to Jesus. Some of you are experiencing a prison today because you've never repented of your sins and turned your life over to Jesus. You've not become a disciple of Jesus. You're not connecting to his word and, and living his word. You live in the South, and so you think that just because you were born and you're a decent person, you think you're a decent person, that you're going to heaven. But that's not what Jesus teaches us. And so for some of you today, maybe that's kind of hitting you. That step one for you is giving your life to Christ. But listen, as you follow Jesus, he's going to lead you to opportunities. And these opportunities are there for you to use your gifts, to glorify him, to serve him. He's going to give you opportunities to help other people find Jesus. He's going to give you opportunities for a career and a job. He's going to give you opportunities to date people and then court them and potentially choose to love them and marry them. And then as you get married, now God has given you another opportunity and that opportunity is a calling as a man to lead, provide, and protect her. You lead her spiritually. You lead her emotionally. You provide for her, yes, financially. You provide for her spiritually, and you provide emotional support. It doesn't mean that women can't work or shouldn't, you know, help in the provision financially. It just means primarily it is a man's responsibility to provide. And so... Every single man in the room, we got to work. You know, unless something is prohibiting us, we need to work. And we provide. Lead, provide, and protect. We protect physically. Not only do, do we protect physically, we protect emotionally. We protect spiritually in prayer. 
And so this is the calling. If you want to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, as a man, this is what God is calling you to do. This is your opportunity. This is your actual responsibility. And every day, every season of your life, God is calling you and leading you to live life in this worthy manner. Now, forgive me, ladies, for focusing so much on the, on the men at this point, but I believe that there are far too many weak, selfish Boys who can shave in the room. You have a man's body. You have man hair. You're shaving. You're doing man stuff. But you're acting like a boy. You haven't stepped into the worthy calling that Jesus died on the cross for you to accept. You haven't fulfilled your responsibilities as a man of God to lead, provide, and to protect your family. Oh, I got protection. Yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of guns and nobody's going to harm my wife. That's easy in America. Get a dog, alarm system, you know. What about protecting her spiritually? What about protecting her emotionally? I think as we think about this calling, as we think about who God has created us to be as men. Number one, you, you need to be set free from, from, from the, the bondage of thinking that it's all about you and realize that God has put you in a position and he has called you to this position. He's going to equip you to that position and you're going to do what he has asked you to do with his power and his confidence. I know men are intimidated by the fact that we're, we're saying things like this. I can't do this. I don't know. I'm not good enough. But listen, God has called you to this, and what he's called you to, he, he equips you to do. And so we've got to walk in this manner. Secondly, you've got to go on. Secondly, he says, move towards humility. You move towards gentleness. I want to focus on gentleness here. We know humility means that we're, we're thinking of ourselves less. Right? And in a marriage, that is key. Think of what you want less. Think of what she wants more. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love does not demand its own way. And that is key for a healthy, successful marriage. Don't demand your own way. But he says in gentleness, gentleness. Are you being gentle with your spouse? I mean, think in terms of how you talk to her, how you talk to him. Is your response in gentleness or is it? <laughs> Some of you are gifted with a quick wittedness. You have the zingers and boy, you can pop them out and zing them and hit them. And you know how to jab right in that spot that hurts your husband or hurts your wife. And you pride yourself in that. And you, you get a good laugh, but are you being gentle in your response, in your communication? How is your communication with your spouse, period? 85% of all marriage problems really kind of boil down to poor communication. Poor communication. Newsweek released a statistic that said the average couple talks to each other alone. So just one-on-one, -on -one alone communication, four minutes a day. The average couple spends 47 hours a week watching TV and 30 minutes total in one week actually communicating with each other. If communication is the number one problem in marriages, 
We're watching 47 hours of TV, and we're only talking to each other for 30 minutes a week. It's no wonder the divorce rate is so high, and it's no wonder so many married people in the room today aren't experiencing joy, and there's so many issues that you're dealing with today. How are you communicating? We're going to talk a lot about that next week. Thirdly, move towards patience. Well, I think everybody's pretty patient in here, so we don't need to talk about this one, do we? I mean, this is a whole sermon series. This is a whole topic in and of itself. We all need to grow in our patience. I love what he says next, bearing with one another in love. That's really what patience is, bearing with one another, bearing with her in love. You know, dealing with the quirks and the things that are annoying and the things that you don't like, you, you are bearing with that. In other words, you are having patience in that. She's not perfect. He's not perfect. But you're going to bear and be patient with him or her because we know God is moving her, moving him closer to him. The thing with patience is, Most of our arguments really stem out of a lack of patience because we want something done, we want it done right now, and we want it done perfectly. Because if it's worth doing, do it right. And as a result of that expectations, it doesn't get met, and so we nag and complain and we fuss. We've got to move towards patience. And I'm going to add a couple more here. Number four, I would say you've got to move towards honor. You've got to move towards honor. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Showing honor to your wife. Now, ladies, don't get tripped up on the weaker vessel stuff. Um, Don't get upset about that. There's a lot of women in the room that you do CrossFit, you work out, you're you're really, really strong, and I'm sure you can bench press more than James. Uh, But let's just be honest, that's not that great of a feat. But anyway... Just kidding, Pastor James. Um, but, but his point is that, you know, men in general are, are physically stronger than most women. That's all he means. So don't get tripped up on that and miss the point that men are called to honor their wife. How do we honor our wife? Be understanding and show her honor. Showing honor to her is simply being kind to her. What's your, what would you rate yourself on a scale of 1 to 10 in being kind to your spouse? How you, how you serve her, how you talk to her, are you being kind? I mean, we, tw- we tell our 12-year-olds to be kind to their siblings and to show kindness. And yet as adults, sometimes we don't have the maturity to just show kindness to our spouse. Helping get groceries out of the car door, making sure both of her legs are inside the vehicle before you leave. Those are all helpful pointers. Take notes, guys. The fact is in marriage, you're going to have conflict. Every single marriage is going to have conflict. And there are some issues that you're never going to agree on because all of us are different. But at the same time, we have to learn to compromise. And that's the evidence that a marriage is built on honor. I want to honor you, so I'm willing to compromise. I'm not going to demand my own way. I'm going to compromise. I want to honor you. I'm going to meet you in the middle. We're going to be flexible on this. I'm going to yield to your rights. I'm going to give more than I take. 
and you learn the art of negotiation. You learn to compromise, and it's a huge skill that has to be developed in a marriage. And, and, And make no mistake about it, it has to be developed. You don't just you know, become a two-year-old and want to compromise. You just want to take everything for yourself. We've got to learn to compromise. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. The message is a, is a paraphrase of the Bible. And it says it like this. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. It's not a place to stand up for your rights. In other words, don't, don't, don't like act like it's all about you. It's your right to do this, your right to do that. No, it's about giving up your rights. Now, obviously, if a woman is being abused in any way, in any way, then you need to call the authorities, you need to call the church, you need help immediately. You, know, you don't have to stay there. I think the point here is like, we're, we're, we're not going to, hey, this is my right to do this and to do that. To do. No, no, no. We want to submit our rights. More marriages die from a lack of compromise than adultery and alcoholism. It's a fact that we are just stubborn and we are rigid. And some of you even brag about being stubborn. I'm just stubborn, and that's how my daddy was, and that's how I am. And it's like, that is not a good quality. That's a terrible quality. I feel sorry for your spouse. We have to work through that. We have to realize the Scripture says to honor your father and mother, honor the elders of the church, and honor your spouse. Everything we've talked about today could be summed up in that. Honor the Lord, and you honor your spouse. I think it's amazing how quickly the honor fades in our marriage you know, we might start off really, really high on honor, but we, we, we quickly fade. Think about it like this. In year one, when your wife got sick and she was, she was coughing, that cough came and you were like, oh, sweetie schmoopy. I'm worried about that cough and sniffle. I'm going to take you to the doctor, you know. Year two, she coughs and it's like, wow, that doesn't sound too good. Why don't you go to bed and I'll take care of dinner tonight. Year three rolls around, she coughs, Gross. That didn't sound good. After you do the dishes, go to Walgreens. <laughs> Year four, it's even worse. My goodness, be quiet. Sound like a barking dog back there. You know, it just gets worse. We've got to fight for honor. We've got to choose to honor. We've got to choose to show kindness. We've got to realize that there is a calling that God has placed upon our lives. We've got to walk in gentleness and patience and learn to honor one another. These four words alone will revolutionize your marriage if you begin to follow them. And as you follow them, as you unify around that concept that you're on the same team, we're going to pursue God, we're going to follow Him. As you follow Him, as you submit to Him, you will get closer together. And you will find that marriage can liberate you. It doesn't have to incarcerate you. Imagine what it would feel like to stop fighting. Imagine what it would, would be like to go a couple of days without being at each other's throat. Imagine what it would be like if, if you know, some of you have learned just to kind of endure it and live together and not really, like, like do life together. You're just kind of, imagine rediscovering your spouse and falling in love with them all again. Imagine reprioritizing some things in your life and finally admit, you know what? Maybe I am spending too much time here. Maybe I am doing too much over here. And let's go out on a date this weekend. 
just me and you. Let's get sitters, get them taken care of. Let's go discover each other again. The Patrick's the world. Imagine what that would feel like. Imagine how your life would be transformed. And imagine what God would do in your life. Would you bow your heads? I wonder if there are some folks in the room who perhaps are realizing that they are not disciples of Jesus. You have not given your life to Christ. You've never taken that step. And perhaps today you'd like to take that step. By just a a show of hands today, no one looking around, would anybody say, I think that's me today? Anybody at all say, I think that's me? Anybody? See one, two. Anybody else? I feel like I need to take that step. When I hear you talk, I just don't feel like that has been a a decision that I've made in my life. Just simply say this to God. Make this commitment to Him. Just simply say, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and save me. And I believe if you have made that commitment today, the Spirit of God is transforming you from death to life in this moment. And it could be the first step in a transformation in your marriage. And it's such a big decision that I don't want you to leave today without telling us, without sharing it with someone. So maybe you'll tell your spouse. Maybe they're not here. I want to encourage you to to tell one of our counselors, one of our section leaders today, wearing light blue t-shirts, they're going to be hanging out in this room. Maybe go to the care and prayer room. Maybe you're hurting so much today that you just need somebody to pray over you. You just need some encouragement. Again, our section leaders can help you. Our prayer and care room is here for you. Father, transform our marriages. Help our men to lead, provide, and protect and walk into that calling. Help our women to step into their calling. May this series uncover our calling even further. May we see it. Give us the keys, God. Show us the keys to unlock from this prison that we have created for ourselves. Help us to feel the liberation of the Son of God living freely in our life and help us to experience the liberation that marriage can bring, that we might find joy and happiness and life afresh and anew in our families. And as we sing about freedom today, God, I pray that you would excite us and motivate us and help us to have the the energy to pursue you even further and even stronger 
because we found freedom. We found Jesus. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.